Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julia Spare's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 23rd of November, and my name is Helen Freer. So we had the autumn statement in the UK and an election in the Netherlands. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with John T. Warris. Then Carsten Menke is back and I'll be asking him about what's going on in the gold market. And Nicola Jordan is also on the show this morning to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But let's start with the market news. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Helen. So let's start perhaps with the US, where we saw some economic data prints out yesterday, which showed some mixed signals. What can you tell us here? That's right. Yes. Durable goods orders declined in October by more than expected as commercial aircraft bookings retreated and demand weakened for business equipment. But on a more positive note, perhaps, weekly jobless claims fell by 24,000 to 209,000, with the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits falling more than expected last week. And this follows a run of increases in recent weeks. That said, this doesn't change the view that the labour market is gradually slowing as higher interest rates continue to cool demand in the economy. Okay, a mixed set of data then. So what was the market reaction like? Well, US stocks closed higher yesterday after US Treasury yields briefly fell to their lowest level in two months, but then recouped their losses and finished the session at 4.9%. And we saw the market rally broaden further. The Dow Jones and the Nasdaq each gained around half a percent, while the S&P 500 advanced 0.4%. Elsewhere, we saw oil slump as the OPEC Plus meeting that had been set for the weekend was delayed. It seems Saudi Arabia and its oil allies are once again quarrelling over output quotas for Africa members, which is prompting concerns about global supplies of crude oil. Okay, um, let's move over to Europe now, where there's plenty of news to report. Yesterday, we saw some headlines out of Germany. Maybe we could start there. That's right. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz's coalition yesterday postponed talks indefinitely on next year's budget as it struggled to find a way out of a crisis caused by a court ruling that blew a hole of 60 billion euros in its finances. And this after attempts to transfer unused pandemic funds towards green investments and industry support. Now, this delay has reinforced uncertainty about spending in all areas of the German economy. And this means that the 2024 budget might not be concluded before the end of this year. And staying in Europe, Dutch voters cast their ballots yesterday in a snap parliamentary election called after the outgoing coalition government collapsed in July. Can you fill us in on the latest there? Yes, Helen. Uh, Now, four parties were vying for the lead in the polls. They include outgoing PM Mark Rutte's Liberal Conservative People's Party for Freedom and Democracy and indeed the far-right party for Freedom, led by Geert Wilders. And in news just in, in a shock result that will resound across uh, Europe, the far-right lawmaker Geert Wilders has won the uh, Dutch elections and said that he plans to lead the next country's government. Wilders has promised voters a binding referendum on leaving the EU and criticised a range of the bloc's policies on issues such as climate change. He's also vowed to halt all immigration to the Netherlands. Uh, Congratulatory messages have already poured in from the European far-right, And I suppose the main takeaway here is that the shape of the new coalition he will have to form will likely have considerable impact on the Netherlands' immigration and climate policies, as well as its relations with its European partners. And uh, in the UK, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, yesterday delivered his fiscal autumn statement where he set out the government's tax and spending plans that he hopes will boost Britain's struggling economy ahead of a general election expected next year. Do you have a few details for us here, John T, on this autumn statement? 
That's right, Helen. Now uh, I do. Um, just five weeks ago, Jeremy Hunt said it was virtually impossible to implement tax cuts. But in his autumn statement yesterday, the UK Chancellor made a number of wide-ranging cuts to taxes. He cut national insurance by 2%. Uh, he said benefits will rise in line with inflation and that the state pension will also rise by 8.5%. That said, shortly after Hunt's speech, the UK's Office for Budget Responsibility published its economic outlook, which showed that the OBR downgraded its growth forecast for the UK, with projections for the tax burden for households to reach its highest level in 70 years. So the OBR paints rather a different picture here, where the overall tax burden is still rising, inflation will be higher than previous forecasts, and growth has been revised down from 2024. And this comes as the UK faces the biggest drop in living standards since records began. I suppose, all in all, Helen, it's not the best backdrop for a successful election campaign for the Conservatives ahead of a general election expected to take place next year. And looking forward, it will be interesting to see whether the Bank of England's task of reining in inflation to 2% will be made harder now by yesterday's tax cuts. OK, um, now moving over to Asia, what's moving markets there in today's session? Now, investors welcome further support measures for Chinese property markets and its downtrodden developers, with the shares of those developers earmarked to receive financial support rallying, including Country Garden. Mainland Chinese indices are trading higher on the news, up between 05 and 0.8%. Elsewhere, markets in Asia are mixed, with India's Nifty 50 index trading flat and the Aussie ASX 200 down by around 0.6% when I checked a moment ago. Okay, uh, just lastly then, uh, looking ahead, what can investors expect today? Intertech, Virgin Money and London Metric Property are among companies expected to release earnings today. It's Thanksgiving holiday in the US today, so US markets are closed. And economic data expected include preliminary manufacturing and services PMI data out of Europe. Central banks scheduled to announce their latest policy rate decision include those of Indonesia, Turkey, Sweden and South Africa. And that's it from me. Great. Thank you very much, John T, for the very comprehensive roundup this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Carsten, good morning, firstly. Hello, good morning. So we are talking about gold this morning. What's going on in the gold market at the moment? Prices were gradually moving lower until the most recent US inflation data came out. And since then, they've been rallying again, getting up to $2,000 per ounce. Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, so we've seen quite a turnaround in the gold market again, actually. Uh, the focus of the market has shifted away from the war uh, in uh, Gaza to back to use monetary policy. But unlike before the war, when prices were on the verge of collapsing, it is not anymore about higher for longer US interest rates. Instead, uh, gold is now following the narrative of a peak of the hiking cycle and expectations of the first interest rate cut by the US Federal Reserve. And this change was triggered indeed by the U.S. inflation report, which you mentioned, uh, which showed slightly lower than expected price increases. Okay, yes. And this report was quite a game changer in terms of the perception of inflation in financial markets, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. So as I said, the inflation numbers were just a tad lower than what was expected by the market. But it led to quite an outsized reaction in the market, and most notably on the US dollar and also US bond yields. And in consequence of that, gold rallied back to the 2000 per ounce threshold. But beyond the impact of the US dollar and the yields, we attribute this rally first and foremost to a brightening mood among short-term traders in the futures market. 
What about investment demand? I know this is always an important element to you. Are investors coming back to the gold market? Uh, yes, they are. So we have witnessed a pickup in investment demand during the past few days, at least, uh, even though not a big one. And I think it remains to be seen if this is more of a sentiment spillover or if it reflects genuine safe haven demand. For now, I would rather go with the former than, than the latter, as the overall economic outlook does not really justify an increase in safe haven demand. And we also need to ask ourselves if this brightening of the market mood is indeed justified. Um, we doubt it, because the past has shown that falling interest rates and bond yields are not sufficient to lastingly lift gold prices. And I think the period from 1980 to 2000 serves as a case in point. Not only were bond yields falling, but safe haven demand and gold prices were as well. Admittedly, it was a very different period in time from a monetary policy perspective, which, among other factors, was also characterized by large-scale central bank selling, while now we are facing strong buying. So what does this mean for gold now, then? Do you think this rally has legs? Uh, rather not. So if we look at the overall economic outlook, we still do not expect a recession. We do not expect a rapid reversal in monetary policy either. And there are no systemic stress. There is no systemic stress in the banking system. So all of this argues against higher gold prices. It is true, however, that economic risks are again on the rise. So there is a risk of recession. Uh, but these risks appear to be more than well reflected in the market at the moment. So against this backdrop, we still see more downside than upside and remain cautious on gold. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Karsten. You're welcome. Thank you. And let's move on to you now, Nicola. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Helen. So what was the investment committee focusing on this week? Well, once again, our main focus was on U.S. inflation. Even though U.S. CPI numbers have been less in the spotlight lately, we think it's still a highly relevant topic which influences global central bank policies and immediate market action, as Carson already hinted at as well. So what are our main takeaways from the latest readings? First, the oil and gas sector remains the main downward force on headline inflation. Its negative contribution should become even more pronounced in the coming month, given the recent movements in oil prices. Second, while core inflation is higher than headline inflation, excluding shelter inflation further reduces the price growth to 1.5%. While this large CPI component remains elevated for the time being, real-time rents have already cooled significantly, and it's only a matter of time before shelter inflation follows suit. Third, the year-on-year -year contribution of goods excluding food and energy is essentially zero, again confirming that supply chains have been repaired and the pandemic price distortion has finally disappeared. Does that mean we could face deflation again soon then? Well, deflation might be a little exaggerated at this point in time. But interestingly, Walmart's CEO, for example, indeed indicated that the company expects to see outright deflation in its prices as we head into the holiday season due to fading fiscal stimulus, slowing consumer demand and lower input prices. In that sense, just as we were surprised by the speed of the rise in inflation, we may also be surprised by the speed of its decline. Given the record financialization of the global economy, the line between having an inflation problem and facing a deflation crisis is very narrow today. 
Central banks cannot ignore the financial stability dimension, which is the ultimate constraint on their policy making. Okay, so trying to make sense of all of this then, what does it mean for investors? Well, as we heard from Carsten, the market now expects the Fed to start cutting interest rates as early as May next year. While this might be a bit too optimistic, we agree in the sense that we think rates at 5% or even higher are not sustainable in major Western economies for a prolonged period of time. So in brief, central banks may be closer to lowering interest rates than they would like to admit. Against this backdrop, we continue to believe that it is prudent to lock in the current yield levels durably. That's it from my side. Back to you, Helen. Excellent. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us this morning. Thank you. So that is all for today. Thank you again to today's guests. It's been interesting as always. And thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show and you haven't yet subscribed, don't forget to do so. And please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back talking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone. And bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.